welcome to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change, where we bring you stories of real people working to address real issues. I am your host, Shimon Cohen. In this episode, I talk with Laylee Lyman from Richmond, California. Laylee explains how she learned how to conduct youth participatory action research at the RISE Youth Center while she was in high school, and that her research explored why marijuana was the primary coping strategy for youth in her community. We discuss what led youth to state that they did not feel safe talking to adults and that marijuana was a safer option. Laylee talks about issues that are common for youth growing up in Richmond, such as experiencing trauma, a lack of resources, and stigma and other barriers towards counseling. Laylee also shares about her current studies and research at UC Berkeley, as well as being a first-generation college student. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Laylee, thanks so much for coming on, doing the work. Thank you for having me. You know, the way we connected was through your article in the Chronicle of Social Change. And the article was titled, For Youth in My City, Marijuana is the Go-To Treatment for Trauma. The line in the article that really got my attention, and I was like, I need to talk to her and get her on here, was this line that you wrote. Many youth said that talking to adults as a coping strategy was potentially more harmful than smoking marijuana. Yeah, so... That was like the one quote that a lot of people point out to me. I feel like when they hear that, they they think that the first people that the youth would go to are the adults. But hearing this, it's actually the exact opposite. So I think it was really interesting to hear that that's how the youth in my community felt. Could you kind of share how you even got the information for that article and the work that you were doing at the RISE Center in Richmond, California? Yeah, so pretty much we did, um, we had... A hundred surveys um, that went around the youth center and some of the schools in our district. And then um, from the information that we gathered from the surveys, we did um, a focus group, which is where that quote came from. So we analyzed the surveys and we picked out the main themes that we saw. And a lot of it had to do with adults. So in the focus group, we asked them to, you know, explore a little bit more, give us more of like their lived experiences around adults and coping and marijuana in our community. And that's when they said, you know, I don't feel safe with adults. I feel like they don't relate to me. I feel like they, they're very judgmental. So that's when we got that quote. And what led to you even doing that, that research, gathering that info? What was the kind of work you were doing with RISE? Yeah, so it all started um, when I was a junior in high school. So when I was a junior, I was in the health academy and we got to get placed at different locations around Richmond to intern at. So I was placed at Rise. And when I got there, my, um, my mentor, he just introduced us to YPAR, you know, Youth Participatory Action Research. And he was like, okay, you know, this is YPAR. These are, this is how it works. Like, this is some example of some that we've done. Um, and then he showed us some data that he collected from um, his own research. And the one thing that stuck out to my co-intern and I was that marijuana was the primary coping strategy for a lot of the youth in Richmond. So we wanted to understand why and, you know, what was wrong with the other alternatives, such as, you know, talking to adults. You're you're from Richmond, correct? You grew up in Richmond, California? Yeah, I grew up and raised there. Yeah. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what that experience in Richmond is like? Because that 
really, you know, kind of translates into that experience that what you write about as well. Right. Growing up in Richmond is very different than especially being in college, hearing how other people grew up. You know, you see things, you hear things, you you experience things that's not normal for kids growing up. You know, you experience a lot of trauma that doesn't get dealt with. And I feel like there's not a lot of resources. So it really gets normalized. Like growing up, I really thought that, you know, the everyday experience that I've had, especially like, for example, in high school, having cops on campus, having, you know, having cops have their own office on campus. I thought that was really normal. And then when you get out of Richmond and you hear other people's experiences and they're not that, and they're like, oh, why would you have police on campus? You know, it's, it's really different compared to like every, every other experience that I've ever heard. And what were some of the other traumas that the young people at Rise, you know, spoke with you about that led to using marijuana as a coping strategy? Yeah. So I would say definitely in the focus group and the personal interviews, we heard a lot about, you know, um, family and friend deaths due to like, um, you know, gun violence, gang violence, domestic abuse, drug abuse in their household. You know, you just hear all these things. And I think what's unique about like places like similar to Richmond is that it's not just one thing at a time. It's not just, oh, um, you know, someone that died due to gang violence, but it's also um, you're also at the same time, you're also experiencing domestic violence or, you know, you're um, experiencing someone in your household abusing drugs or alcohol. So it's just a combination of all these different traumas and you don't get the proper time space to be able to heal from it. What were the exact things that young people did not feel talking to adults would be helpful about, right? Because you know, the message is really, and I'm, I'm a clinical social worker and an educator, and my background is actually I helped create and I ran this teen center in Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I worked with a lot of young people, but I'm, I'm obviously no longer a young person. <laughs> and um, so I only know what I know and my experience and what I've heard from young people and read about, right? Mm-hmm. And at least in my profession and the education for students who are going to be social workers is, you know, there's a push for trauma-informed care mm-hmm. and to be able to be there for young people. But clearly, this isn't getting through to the youth that are that you spoke with. So what was happening there? Yeah. So something that we heard a lot when it came to like adults was that um, they felt like they would speak to adults. They would reach out to adults, you know, oh, I'm going through this or that. And they felt that the adults were just, instead of trying to help them and understand their situation, they were being really judgmental about the situation or their experiences in their life. Or they also felt that, you know, their experiences weren't valid, you know, oh, Um, We heard someone say, oh, like, wait until you're an adult, then you're going to really, you know, face the real world. You know, this is nothing. So it's just like not taking into consideration that like these are like real life situations that we deal with. And they're just as valid as any other experience that we'll experience when we're growing up. And what did young people say about accessing, you know, like counseling services, Mm -hmm. that type of support? A lot of people said, well, there was like a variety of different answers. So one was that, you know, it wasn't accessible. So they didn't even know where to go besides Rise. They didn't know where to go to like get these services. And another thing that they mentioned was sort of like the stigma around counseling. They felt that, oh, I'm not crazy. So I don't need to go talk to somebody. So they had this stigma that you have to be crazy or you have to have a lot of privilege to go and talk to counselors. But I think it's important to understand that, you know, 
being able to talk about your trauma, being able to talk about the things that you experience in life shouldn't be a privilege. It should be a norm, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And there needs to clearly be a lot of education to reach out to young people and anyone who feels like that it's inaccessible. Right, right. What do you and what do young people who you spoke with, what do they want adults to do? They said that they want adults to, um, which was a common theme. They want adults to not only like listen, but understand where they're coming from and not reply back just to give an answer, but to actually give good advice that they can actually use instead of just um, like talk with them, not at them. Right. Like a supportive conversation, not telling them what to do, not telling, not minimizing the experience. Right. Exactly. You know, they wanted adults to be able to hear them out and not judge them. And what do you think service providers need to do? You know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are social workers or educators or students who are going to be social workers. So what is the message you would really want to get across to those folks? I think it's just, it's important to understand who the community that you're serving, you know, their experiences, where they're coming from, because that really shapes the type of care that they need. So like how you were talking about earlier, trauma-informed care, I think that comes with trauma-informed care needs to be implemented with not just service care providers, but also within schools, you know, with teachers, with even the student resource officers, the police officers there at school, you know, they need to understand that outside of, you know, this everyday life at school, you know, they, they experience real world things and real world consequences. And when talking to them, you need to understand that and not judge them for it. Yeah, it really needs to be provided in a number of different areas because like you said, young people aren't always just going to go to a counselor and probably the first adult they're really in contact with is other than their parents and people out in the community or teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So they also need to be, you know, trauma informed when it comes to like how to deal with processing, helping um, the youth process their trauma. You know, getting getting back to marijuana, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's obviously been a lot of changes across the country in terms of how it's viewed, right, with medical marijuana and more and more states legalizing marijuana. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just interested in what you and what the youth, you know, based on your discussion, your conversations with young people at Rise, like where, what they thought about marijuana, why it felt better to them than some other potential strategies to cope. Right. One thing that we heard was that marijuana was actually more accessible to them than talking to adults. So, you know, uh, we heard someone say that, you know, it's, it's right in my house. So it's just, it's right there. It's convenient. And, you know, you don't have to go through the hassle of trying to find somebody to talk to. Other youth said that they don't see what's wrong with marijuana. You know, it's, it's not hurting anybody else. They felt like it wasn't um, hurting themselves, that it was actually helping them cope. So they didn't see like why it was so stigmatized, why it was such a crime to, you know, smoke marijuana. And then they also did identify that, you know, like it's just another coping strategy. Like, you don't like they were like, you don't see anybody getting mad at somebody for, you know, doing sports or music. It's just another way of coping with their everyday struggles. It's an interesting response from young people for different reasons. You know, I could look at it as, well, it could become a problem. But, it all, but a lot of other things could as well. And I think the biggest takeaway from this article that I got and the message that I hope gets across to 
listeners is that young people want help. They want adults who are going to be able to be there for them. And it's, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And when that is the case, they're going to find other ways to cope with it, whether they're healthy or not. You know, that's really what I get from it. And I'm wondering, what are the kind, what kind of programming, what's the kind of work being done at Rise, you know, to support these young people? Yeah. So at Rise, you know, they always talk about, you know, mental health and making sure that your mental health is okay and having, you know, proper ways to deal with your mental health besides, you know, marijuana, you know, different ways to practice self-care. So I'm going to give an example. So when I was there, my senior year of high school, there was like a death of a member that went to rise. And we all got together and we had a healing circle. And everyone got to you know say what they had to say about the situation. And I think it was a really unique way to allow them to process what had happened. And the adults, they made like they made it clear, you know, this is not a normal event. So the way that you react is okay. You know, they wanted them to know, understand that the, you know, the death of a member of Rise or a member of just our community in general, you know, like the way that you're going to respond is okay. And they just wanted them to know that like Rise is there for you, which is really something that a lot of the youth need. They need to know that they have a support system there for them. Yeah. If there's no other place to go, at least they've got that one place to go where they feel supported and safe. Right. Yeah. And they all, Rise is really big on self-care and, you know, making sure that you practice different self-care methods and that you talk about like what you're going through. So in all of the work you did there at your internship, what was the biggest challenge for you in terms of, you know, the stories you heard, the work itself? I would say the biggest challenge. Um, I mean, I feel like when doing research, you're always going to have a little bit of challenge regardless of the age group, you know, collecting data, analyzing it, you know, but I think for me, the biggest challenge was like, once all of that was done, getting like our voices heard. So I feel like a lot of the times adults tend to like discredit the work that gets done by the youth, just because it's done by the youth and the people that are participating in it are also the youth. So I feel like they don't really consider like, especially in this case, like lived experiences to be valid enough, like valid enough research, credible enough research when it comes to these topics. So I think that was the hard part, you know, getting adults to finally listen. And I'm still really young. So, you know, I'm still like, you know, do they take me seriously? Do they not? You know? Yeah. Well, I hope being on here is a way to help get that message across and to show that young people do need to be taken seriously in the information that you gathered and the article you wrote, I mean, people need to read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the ways you've been able to challenge that perspective of not being taken seriously? I think one way was coming to like a higher institution. So like at UC Berkeley, which is something that not a lot of people get to experience, you know, they don't get the the privilege of being able to come here. But I feel like, you know, back in high school, when I was doing my research, even then I was like, okay, well, how far is this going to go? Well, I'm already in my third year of, you know, undergrad. So it's, it's really nice to see like how far my research has gone and how it's developed throughout like my undergrad education. Yeah. And do you think that did the work you did help you to get to UC Berkeley? Is there a connection there? Definitely. I really genuinely do believe that. And I wouldn't necessarily say like the 
doing the research is what got me here because I know Berkeley is like a big research institution. But I think it's just the fact that I was so young doing it and the impact is still here. Like I'm still, you know, people are still reaching out to me, you know, to write articles or like this podcast. So I think the research that I did was really important. And it's nice to know that four years later, I mean, it's kind of bad that it's there's still, you know, some issues that are still happening. Like, you know, marijuana, I'm pretty sure is still the most commonly used coping mechanism. But it's good to know that the work that I did is still carrying on with me and I could still do it after all these years, like continue to do research. Is this you know, what are what are your plans that I'm sure people are wondering, listening, you know, and I'm wondering, like, what are your future plans? What are you studying? What, you know, what's, what's next for you? Yeah, so um, I'm a legal studies major, which is like a pre-law um, major. Um, so I do plan on going to law school. Um, but before I go to law school, you know, after undergrad, I do want to take a year or two off and, you know, do some public work. I don't know, maybe who knows, work at RISE. Um, or work at like places similar to Rise, where I could just like give back to my community and then go to law school eventually and become a lawyer. That's great. That's really exciting to hear because we need more lawyers who have the perspective that you have. Yeah, definitely. How does your life experience inform the work that you've done and what you plan to do? I feel like where I come from and, you know, the the things that I've experienced, they've given me this passion to do the work that I'm doing and to do the work that I'm continuing to do. Like I said earlier, I look at it like there's so many people that where I come from that, you know, deserve to be able to go to higher education and be in the position that I'm at today. But for one reason or another, you know, they don't get the opportunity to do that. So I feel like I'm doing it for those who never got the chance to. And my experience is just Rather than, you know, bringing me back and, you know, especially at a prestigious institution like Cal, instead of like, oh, realizing that I'm not as privileged as everyone else, it really pushes me to do better and to realize that I need to go back into my community and help. Right. Like you're not just going to take this education and this opportunity and make it all about you. You're dedicated to, to your community and to helping people that come from similar backgrounds as yourself. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's a lot bigger than just me. And I feel like a lot of times people tend to forget that when they go to higher education and they focus more on themselves. But I think that's something that we're lacking. Like we need to go back into our communities and help others so that they can do what we're doing. You know, I think I, I think I read in the art, you know, at the end of the article, you are that you're a first generation student. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm a first generation student. Can you talk a little bit about that experience too? Because I think it relates to the larger conversation that we've been having. Yeah. Being a first generation student has definitely been difficult just um, in terms of like anything, you know, enrolling in classes, filling out FAFSA, all these different things that my mom never knew, we never even heard of. And then not only that, but coming here, you realize, you know, how disadvantaged you were educationally wise, like people, I remember I took a math class my freshman year and people were like, oh, I remember that from high school. And it's stuff that I had never seen a day in my life. So it's like, you're already playing catch up with people that have, you know, heard or learned about this stuff back in high school. 
So it's just, you learn, you learn how to do school again. And I know it sounds weird, but you learn how to do college. Has there been anything that you found particularly helpful on campus that's helped you with that? I would definitely say my group of friends, um, because we're all first generation students. Most of us are first generation. So it's nice to know that one, I'm not alone. And two, like, I know I have other people to go to who are probably experiencing the same feelings that I'm feeling. Cause you could feel, you could get, feel lost. You could feel like, you know, you don't belong here, that it was a mistake. Like, I shouldn't have came here. But it's nice to know that I have a supportive group of friends that um, have helped me. And um, like, if I don't know how to do something, they might know how to do it and vice versa. So it's just a really strong, you know, support system. And we all encourage each other. And we all remind each other that we're here for a reason. How did you end up with a group of friends on campus that are all first generation or mostly first generation? Um, So the summer before um, I came to Cal, I did um, this program called Summer Bridge, which was made up mainly of first generation college students. And it was just like a transition program to get you used to Cal, like to get you familiar with like the academic workload, the campus and I met one of my best friends there and freshman year, she was placed in like a themed housing and that's where I met the rest of my friends. And it just happened that we were all like first generation students. That makes sense, you know, to get that group together so you can kind of carry those bonds with you, as you've said, through these times that can be pretty challenging, Mm -hmm. probably isolating at times. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Are you involved with any like organizing work on campus, like student organizations, that kind of work? Yeah, um, I was part of LPLS, which is the Latinx Pre-Law Society. Um, So last spring, I was an intern. And then this fall, I was a board member. Um, I was external affairs. So pretty much I was in charge of like communicating with law schools and having them come and do panels with us. Um, So I was part of that. And then I'm also part of URAP, which is the Undergraduate Research Apprenticeship Program, which is where I continue to do research here at Berkeley. So what kind of research are you doing now? So with URAP, I'm part of, it's called YES, which is the Youth Equity Scholars. Um, So pretty much they pair you up with a faculty member. So I'm paired up with a faculty member from the Public Health Department here at UC Berkeley. What we've been doing is we've been working with SFUSD, and they have this thing, it's called Peer Resources. And pretty much we've been, my, um, my mentor and I, who is my same mentor from RISE, which is kind of crazy how like everything's tying together. We've been going to two middle schools in SFUSD and we've been having the, they're the eighth grade classes. We've been having them analyze data that was collected from their school around school climate. And they've just been, we already went to one middle school so far, Presidio Middle School, and they just they looked at the data and they got to just analyze it. It's really interesting that you're continuing, you know, the similar in terms of getting, you know, doing research with young people and students. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you're, you know, is that something you plan to continue? Yeah, definitely. I do plan on it because I think, I think it's important to get the youth to realize that they're the experts at their own lives. And they know what changes needed to be made in their lives to better them, not only them, but future generations. So, and I think that's really powerful in itself. Yeah, I agree. I think that 
there really needs to be this understanding that the people who are living these experiences are the experts. That's been a theme that a lot of podcast guests have shared in the work that they do. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad to have you on here to say that, you know, um, and everything that you've shared. Is there anything that you, you know, kind of just want to put out there since you have this platform right now to be on this podcast? My article from the Chronicles of Social Change that was just published a couple months ago. Um, I think it's something that a lot of service care providers and even teachers should read into. I think it's a good resource for them to understand. Yeah, and I'll put that, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so that listeners can click on that and and read that article. It's it's a really great article and it's what, you know, led me to reach out to you. And I'm grateful to the Chronicle um, because the contact there, you know, quickly got us connected. And I'm really glad to have you come on the podcast and thank you for doing the work in your community. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please follow on Twitter and leave positive reviews on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who's doing great work, please get in touch. And thank you for doing real work to make this world a better place.